0: Listening to Assurance in Action. Uh, Today, our episode will be a bit of a different format. So today we are kicking off our Supply Chain Insights series. Uh, Once a month, our Intertech Supply Chain experts will discuss news and current events from the previous month and explain how it relates to the global supply chain and business worldwide. Uh, Today, I've invited uh, Catherine Beer, uh, who is the Senior Director for Supply Chain Assurance, and Justin Betty, who is the Director of uh, Stakeholder Partnerships, uh, to join the discussion. Um, our uh, ethical sourcing forum newsletter uh, goes out monthly uh, and features articles uh, from across the internet, across the world, uh, including articles from the BBC, ApparelCoalition.org, uh, everything in between. Um, so, Catherine and Justin, uh, what news uh, caught your eye this uh, this month?
1: Um, excellent. Thanks, thanks, Seth, uh, for that. So, yeah, so I've been looking at um, these articles in you know, a newsletter this, this month, and um, a few interesting ones did catch my eye. Now, you actually already mentioned that. One of the first ones was the, um, the article in the BBC um, and how the current pandemic we're in is impacting workers and the factories in factories supply chains, um, you know, including the fact that they're suffering from, you know, reduced orders um, from their customers and potentially there's millions that could be losing their jobs in, in supply chains. And this this really resonated with me because recently in tech we did a webinar uh, about supply chain resilience um and that webinar discussed about the the fragility of, of supply chains uh, and sometimes they they don't have the resilience to deal with the stresses and, and and disasters including pandemics i mean we have this just-in-time approach to manufacturing and transportation and storage there's a, there's a big focus on 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 price and turnaround times, and actually, Catherine, you know, I'm glad you're here because I wanted to ask. I mean, what's been your experience with you know some of the weaknesses of 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 supply chains that, that, that you've seen in your time in this industry?
2: Yeah, it's a good it's a good one to pick up on this, and um, because you know, I used to give this um, comment to my customers when they would ask me around, well what is it that they perceive to be the most pressing issues for the company and what they needed to look at. And I used to give a statistic, um, I'll, I'll just do rounded figures for the sake of it now, that, you know, in a given year, we would receive 100,000 audit requests for our second party compliance audits. But in that particular year, we, let's say, did 60,000. And the question was, well, why did 40% of those audits not happen? And it was all to do with and um, the lack of knowledge that our customers had on their suppliers at that point in time. So whether it was the supplier had stopped producing for them at that point or that the contact details they had were incorrect from the vendor that they worked with, um, or they've since gone out of business, for example. And when we think about this particular, um, you know, pandemic that's hit the, hit the globe, um, the first thing that's going to have been really hitting people was Did they have a good enough awareness of their supply chain? And were they able to then see alternative supply sources? Were they able to understand the impact of that value chain? And and by stopping an order or asking for, as you've seen in the BBC article, for example, where they they give an example of, um, you know, they'd even ask, for example, to reduce, uh, ask for a discount of 30 percent for all payables current or um, on order. And they don't understand what that impact actually could have. Um, So I would definitely say that, you know, when I think about how well prepared are they? We are still seeing a massive void in people's understanding of their supply chain as it stands. And I mean, not just a good enough to know your tier one, but how can you really get down to that tier three and below to be able to see that impact? And I think that will have become ever more apparent in this this situation. We know the supermarket suffered that. We have seen, you know, OK, we saw Christmas Eve every day for the last two months, as one retailer explained it to me recently. But even with that, OK, yes, you're normally more well prepared to have that sort of onslaught of shopping um happening, but they still weren't prepared for how to deal with looking for alternative sources, for example.
1: Yeah. So, so what you're saying there is, yeah, it, there's an importance to get transparency and visibility in, in any supply chain and, and that can help you be more re- resilient. Um, but, I mean, other areas, I mean, do you, do, do you think that we're going to see, I don't know, other areas such as people talk about supply chain consolidation to reduce the number of suppliers or even maybe just, m- m- more onshoring of, of of manufacturing to to you know to Europe to the US. Do you think we might see oh, things? Absolutely, about that?
2: absolutely. And you know, even if I am, um, I'm going to just quickly jump to another article that that I thought was quite interesting to read, the one around um, lab beef specialist. Um, Elf farms, apologies to elf farms if I pronounced your, it wrong, but you know, their, their commitment to achieve net zero emissions by 2030. Now, when you look at a lot of those again type articles, um, and, and this point about the, the bringing, you know, the, the, um, you know, offshoring, um, production, you know, maybe back, um, we are all of those things are going to force this conversation to how do they look at at more of a consolidation how do they maybe look at more onshoring sorry not offshoring onshoring um and making sure that they can actually maybe reduce supply chain lengths um you know reduce that travel time how can they look at making sure that there's going to be you know if more any future pandemics were to hit or, you know, let's hope not, um, but but other disasters were to hit. How can you really make sure that you could allow that better relationship with your suppliers so that if you've got that way that um, they can invest more and do more with you, that they're going to be in a better place for you to work together through those cash flow type issues, et cetera, and make sure that you actually um you know, can come up with, with alternatives. Um, so I think we're going to see a lot of forced, um, conversations, um, happening down these routes. And of course, the longer this goes on for, um, we're seeing day and day how that's changing, um, already for companies.
1: Yeah. Okay. So a little bit of resilience there, but I mean, what other obstacles did, did you, did you see, Catherine, um, that, that all sort of piques your interest?
2: Yeah, you know, just on, you know, exactly on that, I think kind of picking up a bit on the resilience side and then moving to, okay, well, thinking as well about what do you do in terms of, you know, business continuity, for example. So how do you continue to work when, when activities like this are affecting the way you work? So take, for example, if we look at the article, um, that, uh, around SEDEX and, um, SEDEX launching, uh, so SEDEX, for any of the, you that don't know, a leading ethical trade service provider, provider, they launched a direct worker reporting program to help businesses listen directly to workers and to respond and improve working conditions in their business and supply chain during the COVID-19 disruption. So um, they partnered with a direct worker reporting provider and wider um, to deliver the solution and this was all about you know, very timely, making sure that you can use things like, uh, you know, mobile voice technology to enable feedback from workers so that they can actually then, you know, collaborate in a really timely way to say how they feel and what they do. And that links in a lot with what we see anyway. We've seen a lot more of these types of programmes, you know, over the last few years, trying to get more direct feedback from the workers themselves, especially in the supply chain space where we were trying to really, you know, uncover lots of more um very sensitive topics, maybe around discrimination or workplace um, practice issues that were um, too sensitive to pick up on an on-site audit, for example. And this is a good way that you could do that. If you think about on-site audits today, well, a lot of on-site audits were were stopped in many countries. So when we look at, um, you know, the whole way that we're trying to engage with workers in remote audits, um, I think this article is really timely to just say about that there's a, a time and a place now to continue these types of conversations, to make sure that the welfare and working conditions are not being over, um, you know, overlooked. Um, and yeah, it, it's really topics, you know, the last three months we have seen, um, we'd actually been working on this area for quite some time, actually ourselves and our system certification part of the business. Um, and we'd seen a lot actually happening with our um, own, uh, app called InView, which is how we do remote audits. And then we've seen that conversation speed up tenfold with all of the um, social uh, compliance industry associations over the last few weeks um, to make sure that we can come up with these types of business continuity um, uh, programs to ensure that we can still get some sort of insight into that. Um, So for me, I think that that, that's going to be really key. and I guess just in the question, you know, thinking about your role obviously, because you're the one that's that's the closest from our side to the industry um stakeholders that we work with. I guess okay, that's great. We're putting all of these remote solutions there. That's fantastic what CEDEX has partnered with um uh to come up with this uh welfare one. But do you believe remote assessments can really be seen as credible compared to on sites?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, you know, the last few months has been a lot of, um, um, increasing activity around sort of, you know, this remote or virtual, um, assessment of, of, uh, factories so that, you know, brands, retailers can get eyes, um, still into their, into their supplier sites. And, you know, I've been following this for, for a couple of years, this type of remote sort of, um, activity and, and, and visualizing what's going on. At the uh, the factory level, and initially I was a bit sceptical. I mean, in the last sort of eighteen months as we've been sort of exploring this, um, I've I've really sort of turned around to actually realise the, the 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 potential of it. And, Kathy, you know, you know, the intertech of the industry of being doing sort of quality, environmental, and now more social type of um, auditing using you know the our in view app and, and other technologies as well um to do an assessment you know virtually remotely um, with you know with with specialists and auditors sitting in an office and a factory a few hundred miles away um undertaking you know uh, an an assessment and and you know I think the first thing to say you know what I realized was that, it's not it's not the same as an on site audit. You know, you, you have sure, to realize sure. they're, they're two different activities and they both have their strengths and, and, and weaknesses as well. Um, but I mean, what we found is is that you could still undertake the vast majority of the scope, the activities, document review even working interviews we we've been doing in social audits um, with some adaption and, and reduction mm-hmm. on those sort of the questions and, and, and the scope but yeah i mean it does have credibility this remote virtual type of of uh assessment um you know but it's 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 not comparing it to to an on-site audit it's it's another tool in a box that the the industry is using and you mentioned industry um, sort of associations there uh, and programs. And, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, the new, most of them now are are piloting and using this approach um so that their members can at this time, you know, get the visibility that they need um, into their supply chain so that they can understand risk um, ensure they're undertaking due diligence. So, yeah, it's another tool that the, yeah. the, the industry is using. So, yeah, yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah. And I mean I guess I guess you know just last one on this I think for me to your point around that I think you know on the worker interview piece which is always the sensitive bit I think that's nicely where we can see you know initiatives like what Sedex has launched on the um looking at the, the the worker welfare type feedbacks that you can get those will really nicely complement then these types of remote audits to help give that yeah. extra added um detail of a more sensitive nature you know that yeah. that will feed into that so yes this one was very specific to jump into the covid 19 response to make sure that you could listen directly to you know the working conditions etc but it can be extended obviously just past yeah. this yeah so really
1: interesting. yeah no it's good and you know i think you know we we recognize that um you know, work, worker voice engagement is fundamental to understanding risk um, in, in supply chain. So, you know, remote auditing, um, virtual worker engagement, they're, they're complementary, as you say. So, um, yeah, watch this space. Let's see how this yeah. develops this year, I think. Um, but, um, yeah, so, I mean, look we, we've just been talking about, you know, a number of subjects here now. You know, we touched on the social side, we have touched on the environment, a lot on supply chains, etc. Um, and I, I was curious on another article. It was entitled um, "Sustainability Post COVID-19." Um, this was a report um, I think commissioned by yes, the SAC. A Boston Consulting Group um, actually uh, um, undertook the, uh, the, um, the 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 report. They developed it and did all the work. And it deep dives into sustainability and what what that looks like now, what that could look like post COVID-19 over the next six, twelve, eighteen, twenty-four months, and, and beyond that. And it made me think about, you know, how things may look very different with regards to sourcing and supply chains over, like I say, the next 12 to 36 uh, months and beyond. I mean, this report, I read that, um, I read this report from the SAC and and Boston Consulting Mm -hmm. Group. And it talks about, you know, that this year, there may be up to a a 40% drop in apparel sales, you know, and we've all seen that from, yeah, from, from the high street. We know that's happening. And high numbers of suppliers dropping out of the supply chain was already mentioned, millions of of potential job losses in the um, fast fashion sector, you know, as well. You know, so, I mean, I mean, what do you think about this view that the future could be less suppliers, higher quality, and and even more focus on, on sustainability? Do you think this could drive more focus around sustainability?
2: I would say the answer is it should drive more focus on sustainability and what we mean by exactly that point you know so if there's if there's that much of a drop for example in apparel sales i mean hey ho nobody's going anywhere at the moment so there's there's no need to buy anything you know um so what what should it mean i think you know okay i give the example of it was okay different sector there but it was a, a food one there's an article another article in there about you know nestle partnering with um uh, farms, etc. Doesn't actually matter what industry. There was already a lot happening in terms of this consumer pressure driving what we needed to to get to in terms of you know. Better traceability, um, a more sustainable way for fa- you know let's get back to fashion for a second a more sustainable way for fashion to survive, and the so called you know new generation saying you know we will only buy from ethically you know sourced uh, products ones that are made in a certain way, etc. So the the talk has been there for quite some time. The heightened pressures, I mean, the NGO pressure over the last few years, in terms of you know, when I speak to some of my my uh, fashion brand um, customers, my goodness, if it's not you know the the um, Zero discharge that they're reporting on or what they're doing you know um, on, on the various different reporting initiatives um, you know whether it's Greenpeace or whomever they're responding mostly to to their customers too because the customer voice has been very clear on this do I think it will mean less suppliers higher quality I mean, I think that's questionable a little bit at the moment. Mm-hmm. If we look at brands like H&M and, and, you know, there's some great articles when you look into what they've been doing on some of the um, materials that they've been looking into that can be used. And, and of course, as we know, H&M is designed to be that low cost, high turnaround fashion um, provider. Um, but when they put on a jacket that's, you know, 250 quid or whatever it was for um, this new material, it gets a bit like, mm, okay, well, a, at what way can you really make that, you know, bring that cost down, etc.? Oh. And I think there's a lot of that generation saying, "Yes, we're prepared," you know, to pay more for it. Mm, really, and, and given the, you know, economic downturn that we're probably about to have across the globe, you know, um, I would say that's questionable. But, but I do think the traceability targets has already been set. The um, need to consolidate that supply chain, it happens automatically. It will already force that automatic consolidation, as we've been talking about on the resilience side of things. The same will happen on the sustainability side of things. I think what will be the key shift change is those companies who will survive are those that have got clear corporate sustainability Initiatives mm-hmm. and, and across their entire set of sustainability parameters. So everything from thinking about financial sustainability um, targets, thinking about, um, you know, quality and safety, thinking about enterprise security, you know, things that that aren't traditionally in the sustainability space. All of that will will mean those companies that really look at it holistically are the ones that will survive these tougher times and as a result of that it will bring a more sustainable thing and quality i think will make a difference so now i will be like okay if i'm going to go and buy that jacket i'll buy it now but to last longer And
1: so yeah yeah yeah, interesting and i think that report also um you know focus we mentioned talked about um You know, young consumers, Mm. you know, really putting sustainability at the heart of their, uh, their 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 decisions on 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 purchasing. Um, you know, is that really true? Do we really see that? But if it is, then you know, the brands that you just mentioned have got to combine. Sustainability, they can't ignore it and they've got to combine that with, with resilience as well. And, you yeah. know, that, that's a tough ask in today's supply chain when you are dealing with, with thousands of factories and, and, and fast, fast fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we are seeing, maybe we are seeing, it could be a tipping point tipping. In, in fast fashion and maybe a resetting of, of um, current business models. Yeah,
2: maybe, maybe. And I, you know, I mean, I guess, okay, I agree. I think, I think we're on the, we've been on the edge for some time. So yes, the question now is, is that the tipping point? And I think back to my, my comment, I think the time is ripe for it. I think it's going to force more of these conversations. Um, And then I think there will be more pressure, hopefully even coming from governments on this. But I guess just, you know, let me ask you a question. As a consumer, would you pay more for a product? As what we've just said would surely mean a more expensive
1: product oh it's a good question it's a, it's it's a moral it's an ethical it's a financial type of, of question that um you know i i per- personally you know um I would, and I, I think you know, as as I am getting older, you know, my views are changing, and you know, I prefer. We're not in that buy, younger
2: generation well, anymore. Let's face we're, it. We're not. I've
1: got too much grey hair <laughs> you my hair, Catherine. Um, yeah. So for me personally, yeah, I, 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 you know, this age would would prefer to buy a product that lasted longer as well, had a higher quality, had a less um impact on on society and and, and environment. Um. You know, but, you know, that's just me as an individual. But when we're talking about, you know, millions and millions of consumers around the world, you know, sustainable clothing, it has to be affordable. You know, it has to be scalable. You know, and it has to be accessible to everyone. And if it's not, it's only going to be a small percentage of the population that, that purchase or are attracted to that type of brand offering that type of product. And that's not going to have the impact that we all want it to have. So, you know, so sustainability has to be accessible for all, for all consumers. Um, and, and, you know, it, it may be that, you know, um, other business models that we've read about in the last few years has to become more more scalable, you know. Around, you know, we've we've, we've seen a lot about um, clothing rental, actually, which a few mm-hmm. years ago you would have thought was crazy, but now actually it's becoming quite popular that people rent clothes and uh, and just just change them, just like you know people rent cars. Um you know, reselling of 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 products of clothing as well, and um, recycling of them. And actually, there's, there's websites where you can now share clothing as as well so i think all these different approaches will play a role as we go forward um with regards to sustainability and our, our relationship our view around clothing uh, the way we purchase it the way we um we think about it the way we use it you know i i think will change um so so yeah 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 those i think some some comments for the future let's see what this year and the following year brings with with some of these leading um, brands with regards to their sustainability strategies. Uh,
0: Thank you, Justin, and uh, thank you, Catherine. Um, Thank you for listening to Assurance in Action. Um, If you'd like to learn more about uh, what was discussed in this podcast, I will be linking um, all the links uh, in the description, um, as well as uh, this will go on our LinkedIn page, Twitter page, uh, Intertech Business Assurance. Um, And if you'd like to hear more and if you'd like to stay up to date uh, please uh, give us a follow, give us a subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, thank you so much for listening.